0: Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged on Boxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged.
1: Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of this show, uh, one in which we are going to interview my colleague, and friend Moro Ronaldo, and I think is an interview that you will want to look at. It is actually one of the more compelling that I have done in a long time. And Mauro is a very intriguing man, to be sure, uh, and, uh, and entertaining as well. Uh, did I say intriguing and entertaining? Wait, I could be talking about my co host, Trip Mitchell, who will join us right now. Uh, are you, in fact, Trip, in, intriguing and entertaining?
0: Al, if I had any question about how well you read the promos that I write for you, this is a case in point. You nailed it.
1: Yeah, and and in the future, by the way, the payments you make to me should be in cash, not in check form.
0: Well, darn it! You know, one time, Al, you you you're still holding, reminding me of that. God, yeah,
1: that one time the check didn't clear, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, we uh we uh have a a very interesting time in the sport of boxing where where the the matches are uh are coming at us now fast and furious and this weekend we got a good one too
0: we do uh, top rank is a step forward they've got a, a great setup and isn't that ironic because showtime has you flying all the way to connecticut if you're with top rank you could walk out your back door <laughs>
1: that's right i'm doing it. The top rank and espn are here and showtime is back in uh, connecticut in the mohegan sun so uh, yeah i could i could just uh, take the uber over to the to their <laughs> flights and they have a good one coming up uh, with um this weekend on Saturday, uh, the 29th, with uh, Victor Postal challenging Jose Ramirez for the 140 pound titles, two of those titles that Jose Ramirez has. And Ramirez, who has not fought in a year, one of the most exciting fighters in boxing, uh, a fighter who hopes to uh, win this fight and then unify, further unify the titles with Josh Taylor, who is a terrific fighter, and then move up to 147 pounds. I think this. About is a really an interesting one because uh, we know Ramirez, we know how exciting he is, but Victor Postal at his best, is a really tough nut to crack. I went to Glasgow, um, Scotland, uh, to do for uh, Channel 5 over in, uh, uh, in uh, the UK to broadcast the fight in which Josh Taylor fought Victor Postal there. It was a terrific fight. Uh, Taylor got a kind of a lopsided decision, but even uh, uh, Taylor and his people afterwards said, no, it was a much closer fight than the judges had it. And Postal fought very well in that match. So I think he brings a lot into this fight uh, against Jose Ramirez. He's a tall, lanky boxer. Ramirez is a fighter that likes to come in and be very aggressive. So from a stylistic standpoint, it's really excellent. And I am looking forward to seeing how it plays out. And then all boxing fans are hoping that whoever wins this match could fight Josh Taylor uh, and unify the titles. And, and oh, by the way, while Ramirez is the favorite, if Victor Posto won this fight, he would make an entertaining rematch with uh, Josh Taylor. So we'll see how this all plays out, but it's a, it's an, it'll, it'll make for a very interesting fight this weekend.
0: And you're going to be out in Connecticut looking forward to another weekend. And then later on at the end of September, you've got a doubleheader. You're going to be a busy man.
1: Yeah, September 19th, we have a a matchup with Erickson Lubin and Terrell Gachet. Um, And uh, that's going to be a good card. And then the 26th, as you pointed out, uh, we're going to have the the big uh, pay-per-view doubleheader in which it'll be a a, a day-night kind of – Affair, in which we'll have three fights that start at 7 p.m. Eastern or 4 p.m. Pacific, uh, featuring uh, Jermal Charlo against uh, Sergei uh with two other fights with that, two other really good fights. And then in the evening portion, after a half-hour break, we're going to have uh, Jerm- Jermel Charlo, his uh, brother, taking on Jason Rosario in uh, a title matchup, and then a couple of great matches with that as well. And so uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that.
0: Okay. And again, we take your questions, uh, Al with well over 65,000 Twitter followers, we've gotten some great questions. First question. What was the saddest moment after a fight you've ever had with a boxer?
1: Yeah. You know, I've had several where I've been around boxers and, and, and you could feel their anguish from a loss. And one of them was after Evander Holyfield fought Riddick Bowe. I did the pay-per-view in their first fight uh, in which Evander Holyfield lost. Uh, It was a stirring contest. And when we couldn't interview Holyfield in the ring and I was, before the show ended, I was dispatched to his dressing room where they let me in and the scene was, you know, uh, amazingly somber, of course. And he was sitting on the floor on the ground with his back up against the the wall. Uh, Why he was there, I don't know, but for some reason that's just where he ended up. And he was just, you know, mulling over the terrible event that had just happened. And I had to literally get down on my knees to sit next to him to do this interview. And we did, and it was really one of the more remarkable moments I've had in television. Uh, He was, I thought, extremely gracious to even do the interview at that juncture, Uh, and the way he did it, and the way he talked about um, how he did his best, and it just wasn't enough, uh, was, you know, not surprising given Evander Holyfield, uh, but nonetheless, it was pretty amazing, so that was a a very somber moment with a fighter after a very difficult loss.
0: Yeah, and the empathy as an announcer you've got to have there has got to be either either have it or you don't very genuine moment that's a very good point trip you
1: either have it or you don't if you don't and if you are not capable of that uh it'll come through uh and and I think you need to be uh, it's not that you're playing favorites or you're uh, in any way you just need to have that for that person who is you're you know you're you're um chronicling something that's happening in real time that's very real to that person and you need to make sure that
0: what you're doing uh, fits the moment. And great job there. What prospect in boxing is, excites you now?
1: One of the people that I, I'm very excited to see how they do is called is Jerron Ennis, Boots Ennis, who's going to be on the uh, one of the showtime cards coming up that I'm going to be broadcasting. He's a welterweight. He's undefeated. He has not yet yet faced top competition Uh, He wants to, and he wants to step up in competition. Uh, It's been difficult for them to get the right opponents, to get opponents uh, at a certain level to fight him. Uh, He is wildly exciting. He reels off great combinations. He has power. The only question about him clearly is we just don't know when he's in against an A-level or B-level fighter, how is he going to respond? Uh, But he might have a few defensive liabilities because he's so offensive minded in the way he approaches the sport. But, you know, it's often been said the best defense is a good offense and boy has he got a good offense. And uh, so that's the name for boxing fans to remember.
0: Jerron uh, Ennis, it's called Boots, Boots Ennis. He's really something. Okay. And the final question is not a very polite question, but it got sent to us. So I got to do it. But how many broadcast partners have you had? Let's just put
1: it this way. The number is uh, higher than the amount of lovers that Madonna has had. Holy. <laughs>
0: How about Will Chamberlain? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, no, Will, Will still has me beat. Um, yeah, I, you know, when I wrote my book back in 2012, I wrote down in the book, everybody that had been, I put a, a block in the book about everybody That to that point had been my partner, and I think it was hovering around seventy or eighty. I'm going to say, and by the way, you are in the list of partners I've worked with at Ringside. Uh, And since that time, I'm going to say I've probably added another twenty or twenty-five. So you know, I'm I'm hovering in the hundred range for sure. And uh, there was a time on the ESPN Top Rank Boxing Series where I worked eight weeks, that's two months of a, you know, for the most part of of a weekly boxing series in which I had Hagler Leonard. seven different partners. <laughs> Only once was the partner repeated. So uh, I've become pretty good at adapting to working with, uh, with different people. And, you know, the interesting part about that is that you, everyone does have a different approach and everyone does have a different cadence and they have a, you know, they're, nobody's exactly the same so trying to do that is often an intriguing uh intriguing endeavor now that question is a perfect one for this show because one of the people who uh uh, is in the list of partners that i have worked with uh and he's been now he's celebrating by the way his eighth anniversary of uh doing the uh, boxing at uh at showtime uh and he is uh a very talented and intriguing man, my good friend Mauro Ronaldo. And we had a chance to visit with Mauro, and uh, this is already going to be one of my favorite interviews so far uh, of this series. Here's my talk with Mauro Ronaldo. Mauro, you have done something that no one else has ever done you've done literally you have been the play-by-play announcer for literally every combat sport there is boxing mma um professional wrestling kickboxing uh and i'm guessing muay thai comes under the kickboxing uh, banner and so here you were a young boy in british columbia probably dreaming of uh, an announcing career i know you were uh pretty amazing that you can make that statement huh
2: uh, Al, yeah, definitely. And, and let's not forget the longest fight I've called, the one between my mom and dad, which is going on 52-plus <laughs> years now, Al. <laughs> but, you know, I have to do credit. I have to give credit to my parents. Uh, my father, uh, co- immigrants coming from Italy, didn't understand the language in the 60s. Uh, obviously, by all means, not a lot of money, trying to make a new life for themselves. And they came across on the three channels back in the day, uh, professional wrestling. So my father uh, used to go down to the shows, and as a young family, uh, affordable entertainment, they took us to the shows, and I instantly fell in love with all of it, Al, in terms of not only the athleticism that was apparent, the theatrical aspect, it really uh, spoke to me as something that I I wanted to be a part of at a young age. So I... I listened to, you know, radio announcers. I I was always intrigued by the voices I would hear on the news or or doing sports. And so I I hate to use the term visualize because it makes it maybe sound a little hokey or new age, Mm -hmm. but at five years old, Al, I truly did feel an energy come through my body and made me go, this is what I want to do. Started excelling in English, started reading out loud. I uh, started studying like announcers, and at 16, my childhood dream was realized, and here we are 34 years later, almost catching up to you, Mr. Bernstein. <laughs> you, uh,
1: you've you been at this for a long time, and as I said, you've created some history, too. Yeah, I think when, for a lot of us, we know early what we want to do, and this calling often comes very early. Now, you joined uh, me and the, uh, on the boxing literally just about eight years ago. yeah. And um, so it's been an interesting boxing journey for you for a couple of reasons. One, uh, that was the beginning of you announcing boxing. You had never done it. You and I sat down to do the first boxing show that you ever did uh, as kind of an audition for you to do it. And you have either a curse or a blessing, I'm not sure which it is, that literally about 99% of the boxing that you have done, you've had to suffer me sitting next to you.
2: It so that, is no
1: one <laughs> should face that kind of curse.
2: My friend, <laughs> uh, it is the, one of the great blessings and highlights of my life. And, and I get a little goosebumps and emotional when I remembered being asked by Gordon Hawn, David Dinkins, hey, do you mind? I mean, we'd like to audition you. Uh, you're going to work with Al Bernstein. I'm like, what? And to know what you did for me, Al, let's face it, you, you gave up your time. You had to fly across the country to be there. And not only were you an instantly made me feel comfortable, but I truly believe you helped me succeed because, and you asked about the, you know, all the sports that I've done. Boxing is the one that's been steeped in so much history and you've been such a big part of it that I was instantly made to feel comfortable. And I can't stress enough what people like you, Steve Farhood, uh, uh, David, you know, the name go on and on. I've told you this millions of times, it's a family. And for you to, to go out of your way to help me, you're the reason I'm here eight years later still doing boxing. So thank you, sir.
1: Well, I remember the night we sat down for the first show, and I remember instantly feeling, and I, I, this is really true, that your tempo, of course, you had done, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of shows in combat sports and kickboxing and uh, MMA. So you were hardly a newcomer to combat sports. But boxing was different. It's a little mm-hmm. different the animal but i immediately felt that your intuit, intuitive ability to to figure it out so it was it was pretty amazing now having said that how different is boxing from let's say mixed martial arts uh, now you, you you are also capable of being an analyst on mixed martial arts. So you're you you know for the which even is a burden sometimes if you have to do play by play on mixed martial arts. Right. It is for me sometimes when I'm doing boxing play by play because I already know the other role and you have to be careful not to lapse
2: into it. Amen.
1: But in boxing, what's the differences between MMA and boxing in terms of play by play?
2: Sure. Uh, I mean. Obviously, MMA incorporates a lot more disciplines. Uh, The fact that you have to know a little bit about wrestling, Brazilian Mm jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, boxing. It really is mixed martial arts. And so for me, that would seem a little daunting at first because, again, I come from a, uh, you know, I've called all the the ball and, uh, you know, the stick sports as they were back in the day. But boxing and MMA, for boxing, there is... A change in my tempo, as much as people still feel, maybe I'm a little over the top at times, maybe a lot over the top. It is me authentically. It is me, uh, what my energy is. As you know, Al. So for me, boxing has helped me mature as an announcer, and and honestly, having people like yourself and and all these other Hall of Famers to work with, I'm I'm receiving not so much even knowledge, but the energy. So for me, oh, okay. the biggest difference is letting it boxing has a story to tell mma explosive can end at yeah, any time yeah, boxing similar so it's more mma may be a little more creative and having to be involved in different ways boxing i can tell the story in my in yeah. my fashion and, and and within a pattern and and allow it to unfold
1: yeah it's very it's a really good point and you do that and still incorporate it into the the action which is Harder thing to do now. You and I have together uh, done the entire third or final portion of the Mayweather. Oh yeah. Uh, career. What we think is the final part of it. <laughs> uh, and in that, you know, it, it, you know, there were all these pay-per-views and all these uh, fights that were major pay-per-views: the McGregor fight, the, uh, Gosh, yeah. uh, the Canelo fight, the Pacquiao fight, of course. The one common thread through those big pay-per-views was Mayweather, and how, did, how do you, when you look back at that period where we did all those Mayweather fights and the other ones, uh, what, what's your general takeaway from that?
2: Well, uh, I, I call myself the Forrest Gump of broadcasting out to a degree I'm always at the right place at the right time when big events happen. September yeah. of 2012, I was hired to do Showtime Boxing. You may recall, months later, Floyd Mayweather jumped ship to Showtime. Yeah. Uh, Robert Guerrero. So I was, I came in as Floyd Mayweather <laughs> came to Showtime. A little secret. So a,
1: a little secret. They came because you came. <laughs> that was the reason.
2: I, I was on the phone. I have my hey, sources. Leonard, Leonard Ellerby, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm taking over boxing. It's about time Floyd comes over. You've always <laughs> wanted me to call his fights, right? Uh, All right? Go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted. Yeah, he. Everything else aside, and I know that's hard to do, especially nowadays, the Internet's got everything. Looking strictly as Floyd Medweather, the boxer and the athlete, it was simply incredible uh, to watch what he was able to do. I mean, when I look back at my career, uh, I've called the biggest names in sports, combat sports, but he has to be right near at the top. Uh, the best boxer of his generation. The fact that what I like most about Floyd Mayweather and 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 what he meant to the sport, Al. Four years old, he's in the gym becoming a prodigy. Right. This is all he's done, and people can criticize the anything about all of us. Sure. But but to be a part of not only the biggest fights but spectacles. Mayweather McGregor was my worlds colliding in ways I could never fathom. Yeah. Yeah. I would have never guessed that fight would happen. So Mayweather. Made it larger than life. Mayweather's events were happenings, and and to be that close and to to see genius at work, uh, it's 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 humbling.
1: <laughs> yeah, and he was uh, he remains an enigmatic figure. You may have you know for all the interviews we did with Floyd Mayweather and all the fights we called and all the rest, I don't think. And you could correct me if I'm wrong. And I've known him for many many years. I did his first. You called his Floyd.
2: debut. Did you not? Yeah, I did, did his you call pro
1: debut. debut? right afterwards. I'm not sure not you or I could pinpoint what we think is the true personality or what's going on with Floyd Mayweather at any given time. He is a very circumspect in many ways.
2: Absolutely. Uh, and and I'm, I don't want to say it's a persona, but it's a persona, I believe. He yeah. knows he, he's a brand. He's a billion yeah. dollar brand. I believe yeah. he has everything. And, and I mean, like you say, we've interviewed him out. We've asked questions you get the same sound bites if yeah. he's in that mood that day. So you're right. Uh, enigmatic and, and in many ways, uh, yeah, you know, maybe he was, he's a heel in a world that, you know, needs the, 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 yes. the, heels and the bad guys. And he really, I mean, began with the Oscar De La Hoya fight, right. Sure. Wearing the sombrero yeah. backwards, the money Mayweather persona. Right. So he represents uh maybe the best and worst of boxing and boxing is filled with the best and worst, right? Yeah, that's, it's
1: interesting. And he's very good at, uh, it's like a political, uh, you know, a great politician is good at delivering <laughs> his message and Floyd has And he's good at making yeah. money. And Mara, one of the great drinking games I'm sure <laughs> in America <laughs> is when people are watching the Showtime championship boxing show and they're wondering when the first one will come, what the nature of it will be, and what topic areas you're going to hit with your pop culture references. Uh, <laughs> they are waiting on pins and needles for those. Yeah. And, of course, so am I, because I don't know what they're going to be on the broadcast. And it presents a challenge to me, because you can go off in many different directions. <laughs> and it's your signature. And it's your way of kind of, I'm going to guess, and you're mm. going to be the one that answers this, mm. your way of kind of bringing the world into our little world cubicle that we're now involved in. Is
2: that a fair statement? Thank you, Al. Maybe the first person to ever truly say that. And honestly, um, for me, Al, it's uh, maybe a caro- carryover for my radio DJ days or whatever. I've always had a curious mind. I love inane, banal, useless <laughs> trivia, if it may be. Uh, but I hope I always thread it through the story of the fight. I'm using it to describe something we are witnessing, or yeah, maybe a little aside that's happening in the pop culture sphere that could make the 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 girlfriend or the boyfriend on the couch is not into the fight. Go, oh, wait a yeah. minute, okay, I get that, all right. And and honestly, Al, for me, and I I know people say, uh, oh, you know, it's not everyone's cup of tea, granted. I use it to try to avoid saying the same old. I won't swear, but same old yeah, crap yeah, out. Yeah. There's a lot of cliches in our lives. Yeah. And for me, it's being creative with even cliches or, or trying to describe things by painting word pictures. And you, as much as anybody, do the same thing. You're an entertainer. And I got to say this again, the, the mutual love fest here. Um, you are the first broadcaster, maybe one of the only ones. John McCarthy of Bellator now, but you're one of the few broadcasters recently that I've worked with that at least supports me doesn't let me hang out to dry or let me uh bomb as it were even if it's not always shakespeare <laughs> but al you you even on the saturday you're you're responding when i said um romero he grunts with every punch rather loudly I, al is what is he a tennis player and you're like ah you know and then you come up with something to me it builds camaraderie for us it shows yeah that we do listen and are connected. And, and obviously I don't want it to be a crutch. I don't want it to be my only uh, attribute as a broadcaster, but it is something I take pride in. And sometimes people say, does it come off the top of your head? Yes. And other times, obviously when preparing, holy smokes, this writes itself or this should work or, or what's, what's happening in music that, that maybe fits. Mama said, knock you out. Isn't that a, bo- a boxing reference from back in the day? <laughs> Well, so, you're anyway, very careful.
1: That's... You know what I love? You find uh, pop culture references that, for the most part, I'm hip to. <laughs> and now, the and that's why you said you keep me on your to on my toes, because you know it's possible. For instance, just barely possible that I am not the expert on hip hop culture in America. <laughs> it's just possible. Now, I'm not saying I'm not, but it's possible. So I have to at least
2: have a working knowledge
1: now around you. Well, and you
2: know what? Hip-hop has become our top 40, Al. And yeah, I, I, again, people right. can say, and again, in this day and age, and I've always said this, cultural appropriation, no. Cultural appreciation, yeah. amen. And yeah. I have always enjoyed hip-hop. And not everyone knows I was a club DJ for years. Right. And I would go to Seattle and, and get the latest hip-hop, try to introduce it and and it's spoken word. It's rhythm. It's to me, I'm a hip hop aficionado because I enjoy the skills and the talent. But at the same time, Al, like yourself, I love music. I, I know you're, you know, you're a very musical family. I got my keyboard that I, I hammer on, but it's, we are lyricists, Al. With, there's a That's cadence true. and a musicality to what we do. So, I hip-hop is hip right now. A lot of our fighters, uh, Adrian Broner, the Char, like, it's part of our culture. Gervonta Davis right. uh, in Atlanta came out with maybe the hottest rapper right, right. now in Atlanta, Little Baby. So, to me, it's, it's not like trying to shoehorn or be the cool, hip guy no. 50 years old. I no. get that. But no. I want to respect demographics. I want to respect the fighters. And, and to me, it's, it's a love. It's not a stunt.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good way to phrase it. Now, you have uh, been an advocate for um, making the right strides in approaching mental illness because you yourself have suffered from a mental disorder. Uh, You're bipolar, and a wonderful documentary was done about you uh, with your participation with Showtime called The Bipolar Rock and Roller, which is a great title. And uh, you have been a real advocate for... Helping people discuss mental illness in the right way um and and it's obviously a deep, deeply personal uh topic to you
2: uh, absolutely al in fact, it is something I see becoming a bigger part of my professional life perhaps i'm I've made as you are you know we're we're blessed al we are truly blessed in many ways, especially professionally, and because of the platforms we've been given i wanted to show first of all i know my personal journey i know your journey and and it's nobody's business until you shared what you have in a wonderful book i'm too many people have died i could have been one of them and even now there are days especially during this pandemic and and i'm an empath al i see the suffering I, i feel your pain at times i feel people's pain and for me I need to make sure that I am, I'm, I'm channeling it in the right way. So for me to, to show the, the the naked truth, as it were, at times in the dock, it's only making it easier for everyone else to go, wait a minute, this guy called Mayweather McGregor mm-hmm. and he's dealing with this? Uh, thankfully, major celebrities, major athletes, Michael Phelps, the greatest Olympian ever, Kevin Love of the NBA, even LeBron James, Throughout the world now, the stigma is being smashed and shattered. And and this is, we need the best of the best, as it were, to show those kids and other adults who are suffering in silence and thinking about um, to ending their lives because they feel shame. I can't talk to anybody about this. Um, uh, Brian Hawkins uh, at the uh, NFL Hall of Fame, Al, when he talked about his own battles, that's an alpha male football player, my friend. Yeah. So. The more we open the discussion, the more we can discuss it openly. And for me, it's as simple as, hi, I'm Moro Ronello. I live with bipolar disorder and uh, come on in. <laughs> like, it's not trying to, we have to normalize it. Yeah, You've been right. hit very hard by cancer. We all, I've been hit by cancer. Mental illness is the is cancer, sir. It really is.
1: And very well put. And if you had one message you wanted to give to an individual who is maybe suffering in silence with uh, what they perceive to be maybe uh, disorders that they're afraid to talk about. What's your message to them?
2: The message is simply this. There is an incredible amount of support out there, including yours truly. And again, I say this uh, very, very honestly, Moro at mororenello.com There are organizations like NAMI, NAMI.org. There are crisis lines. There are opportunities for you to just speak to someone who will not judge you, who will care about what you have to say and will simply listen. Uh, therapy, talk therapy, I, I encourage. Exercise, Al, meditation. Really something we all as human beings yeah. need to do every day. And honestly, it's just keep up the good fight. There, There is always an answer. I am living proof. Hospitalized 12 times, Al. The first time I could have died, the doctor said. I'm here because I kept fighting. I'm here because of people like you and and people in my family and people who have supported me. And I want to support the world because that's the only way we're going to get through this. And I believe the pandemic has created an epidemic of mental illness issues, but I believe we're, we're coming together and that's the only way we are truly going to survive. So I just let everyone out there know If you're suffering in silence, I, for one, will listen.
1: You and I have had eight years uh, together announcing boxing. I hope there are many more to come. Your career uh, uh, still has a long, long way to go with many, many achievements. And, uh, Marl, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk.
2: Always an honor. Bless you, Al, and uh, really happy for your show. Uh, Continued success. Thanks.
1: So that was our chat with Mauro Ranallo, uh, in which, uh, as you can see, he's a multifaceted man. Uh, we talked, he is willing to talk honestly about the issues he's uh, faced in life beyond sports. And uh, and of course, when he talks about the art of broadcasting, Tripp, I, I find it really fascinating.
0: Well, and it's interesting watching your fight that you had uh, now coming up on two weeks ago from Connecticut, you're separated from your broadcast partner Physically, how difficult is that not to step on them and do, you know, normally you tap the guy in the shoulder. You and I've worked together a lot. It's easy. How do you do it now?
1: Interesting you say, you say that because it's a big difference. Um, you know, we are, the way our configuration is now, a lot of the broadcasting that's been done, I think we were the only, we're so far, we're the only broadcasting crew that has had all of the members on site. Uh, everyone else, ESPN, uh, Fox, uh, I think Zone as well, I'm not sure. They've had uh, people remote, and they're remote from each other. So they're even more removed. They're not even physically near each other. But even being physically near each other but removed by 20 feet uh, was a real challenge. It was interesting. I, I was sitting on one end of the, the, uh, the side of the ring, and he was on the other. I had Abner Mar- Narez next to me but there was, the timekeeper was in between us, and I had to kind of lean over, you know, to look uh, past her, um, she probably thought I was flirting with her all night, uh, <laughs> and, and to, to see Morrow's, you know, because you do have a lot of eye contact, and you do have a lot of, and it was, it's a challenge, it was less of a challenge the second time, because I had already done it once, and, um, but Morrow and I especially rely on that, kind of communication between each other. And we will often, like often I'll, if I want to make a comment early in around, I'll just wave my finger or something or, or make some gesture to him. So it is a challenge to, uh, to be in that position. We got a lot better at it uh, this second time. And, uh, and I think as we continue, which we will be doing probably for the rest of the year, for sure, um, I think it'll, it'll continue to grow.
0: And Al, which do you prefer, a two-man booth or a three-man
1: booth? Well, I, to be really honest, I, even though I've worked in three-man booths for a long time now, and I'm in a three-man booth, I, I can't. What as George Washington said, I cannot tell a lie. Uh, <laughs> if he really said that, I don't know. Uh, I uh, I like a two-man booth the best. Uh, I believe in all sports, two-man booths are more effective. Uh, I believe that in general, you can get the job done with two. And there's a chance for there to be more um, uh, space in between people talking. So we don't have to hear somebody every second of every broadcast. And I just think in general, it's better, but it's a way of life now. Three man boots and uh, not everyone. Of course, now baseball tends to have two man boots. And part of that is just, you're probably not going to fly three guys around the country and pay for three guys to do all those baseball games. But a lot of other sports have leaned toward three-man uh, configurations. And, uh, you know, you, you, it, 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 you have to really work at making that work to make sure that, number one, you're not talking every second uh, and that everybody has a chance to make their points without it
0: becoming too much. Sure. we. You and I worked a three-man booth one time. Unintended, we were doing a Friday night fight from Vegas, and David Brenner was sitting in the front row. And he kept coming up and bugging you, and wanting to get in on the fight. I
1: remember that David kept coming by and kibitzing with us, even though we were on the air. David was a big boxing fan. He has sadly passed away, but he was—he uh, loved boxing. And right, that's right. He was popping over just to schmooze with us, you know. I—I I guess he felt. I wanted to say to him, David, let me ask you a question. If you were doing your stand-up, would you want me to come over there and and schmooze with you while you're doing it? (laughs) He was a great guy. David was a brilliant man uh, who not only was – people know him as a great comedian, but in his earlier item as a guest on my radio show many times, he was a brilliant filmmaker. He started his career as a documentary filmmaker and did that for a decade or more until he found his way into comedy. So, yeah, you're right. We had a, we had a kibitzer that night. <laughs> um, well, I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, Mauro Ronaldo, of course, uh, a fascinating guy. And uh, hopefully we, we answered all your questions and uh, gave you some good grist for the mill on this telecast. My thanks, of course, to, to uh, Tripp and my thanks to Lee for uh, producing this effort. And uh, we will see you next time.